You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the School of Reinvention podcast. I am your host, Roger Osorio. I'm a coach and the author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passions, and Purpose. I'm here with Kara Hauser, who is a best-selling author, career strategist, and empowerment coach. She helps high-impact leaders step into their power and go from burned out to lit up. Clients hone their ability to see and articulate their value and tap into their power, possibility, and purpose to pursue what matters most to them in their lives and careers. In her first career, Kara spent 20 years learning how to survive and ultimately thrive in the pressure cooker field of real estate development. It's an always-on business in which it is a peculiar badge of honor to say to be so busy as to have few, if any, other priorities in your life. That sounds like a recipe for burnout. Trying to be everything to everyone except herself, Kara did learn about burnout the hard way and spent nearly two years testing out every possible way to heal herself and get back into rich, full-bodied, joy-filled living. In 2023, she published her first book titled Burned Out to Lit Up, Ditch the Grind, and Reclaim Your Life, a guidebook for burnout recovery. Kara, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. This topic is absolutely important on the journey to reinvention because one of the reasons why some people decide it's time to reinvent is because they've hit that burnout period or that burnout uh, phase. And they're there and they need to find a way out of that and they want to reinvent themselves. So I think it's great that we get to talk to you, learn more about your book. But let's start with your story. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. It is such a pleasure and so pleased to be here with your listeners today. So a little bit about me. I have been around the world in general and the work world for a while. As you mentioned, I learned about burnout the hard way. After sort of 15 years doing the grind and raising kids and, you know, thinking I could just do everything if I just tried a little harder or was a little more efficient or chopped one more thing off the list that seemed frivolous or unnecessary that, you know, I could get to the bottom of that to-do list. And it's funny because I thought I knew <laughs> I knew better and would not fall into the trap of burnout, but uh, in fact did pretty hard actually, to where I needed to take a break from uh, the working world for a little while to get my mental and physical health back in order. And this whole journey started like 10 years ago. And the gift I see in it now is that I was able to learn over the course of almost two years, what it meant and how to recover, you know, how to heal myself. It was a really scary place for a little while. I wasn't sure I was healable. Like for a while, I thought, am I just broken? Like, am I ever going to work again? I'm a little young to never work again. How will I live? <laughs> you know? It's a little bit of a scary period. And I did, the good news is. 
And then I've put together essentially the greatest hits for folks in this book so that they can start where I was, which is having literally zero energy to even begin to even do a Google search as to where to start. And so starting from nothing energy wise, and then just very gently step-by-step getting themselves back to a place of full body, joy-filled, rich, beautiful living in alignment with what matters most. So let's talk a little bit about the real estate development career because you spent 15 Mm -hmm. years there and and that's where you experienced burnout. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about getting into that world, you know, because like you mentioned, it's a pressure cooker industry. I have a dear friend who's in that world. And when I just hear her stories and catch up with her, like I can pick up on that right away. She doesn't even have to say it. (laughs) And so, you know, I think it's important for us to, and listeners to understand a little bit about well, how does one even get into that, right? And and get 15 years into that. And un- let's understand the because one question that came up when you were telling a little bit the beginning of part of your story is how did you start to feel, uh, I, like you, it sounds like you became aware of burnout, but you didn't do much about it. Like you kind of just kept going. So I want right. to understand that part because I think listeners who might be in that spot, maybe they're doing what you did and maybe they could do something about it sooner rather than later. So that's kind of where I'm going with all this. So tell us a little bit about how that evolved and, you know, tell us a little bit about the career as well. Sure. Yeah. I think I thought, you know, I just wasn't sure. First of all, I thought, doesn't everyone feel this way? Isn't this just how it is? You know, like, why do I think I have it so bad? Because comparatively, I knew folks who had it worse. (laughs) You know, it seemed to me that most people in my peer group were doing the same sort of hustle, grind and drown thing. And so I think that was part of it. It's an interesting world. I was specifically doing housing development in the Bay Area and a San Francisco Bay Area. And it's an interesting place because everybody wants, you know, equity and sustainability and to have opportunities for our neighbors and low carbon footprints and such. But nobody really wants dense, uh, energy efficient homes built near transit anywhere near they, where they live. And so it's a super high controversy profession, funny enough, considering you're just, you know, building apartment buildings and homes for people, but it was, it's important work. I mean, I actually took a lot of joy in it too. It's really complex. It's really complicated to get these huge projects through and to bring all the stakeholders together to make that actually happen. Yeah, I don't I don't think people so, really under, uh, appreciate like what it takes to bring like a especially like a bigger property yeah. to life. Like a house is one thing and even that has oh, its yeah. stuff. Tell us a little bit more about that because I know my friend right. has talked about uh, talked about this and I'm just blown away by all the permissions and permits and approvals and oh my gosh, there's so many layers, right? To just bring an idea to life. Absolutely. I think there should be a TV show about this actually because it is so crazy. I mean, there are shows about similar things, but just if you think about all the everything that's involved, if you are the developer, you are the kind of the umbrella on top of everything. Everything being, you know, finding the investors and the lenders, getting all the approvals from the city, doing the public relations with the community, eventually hiring and bringing on your entire consulting team of a, usually about 30 different consultants. You've got architects, engineers, all kinds of designers, different kinds of consultants around environmental things, soil. You eventually need to bring, of course, on your contractors. And then if you're going to keep it, the operations team 
And if you're going to sell it, you need to deal with that piece of it. And so what the developer needs to do is to be able to, you know, you're not going to be everything. You're not going to be a structural engineer. You're not going to be a land use attorney. You're not going to be a civil engineer, but you do need to know enough about how all those pieces come together, zoning policy, politics, all that stuff. You need to know enough about how all the pieces come together and impact your project to know exactly how they work together and who and when people need to work together and how everything is going to come together in a way that actually is successful for everyone, which is actually a crazy, crazy feat. Each project is at least five years of an investment. I mean, the biggest one I did was a 400 unit project. I mean, these are enormous projects. And the amount of uh, controversy that can be involved in them is huge. And it seems like I would joke with my clients sometimes that it's like waking up every day and getting punched in the face and then figuring out how to, <laughs> how to deal with it and how to keep, keep the project wow. moving. And you didn't really address this one, but this was assuming that the money is there and flowing the whole time yes. because right. I've seen projects that come to right. a stop. You know, sometimes you're like, what happened to that development? And that is a heavy right. assumption. Yeah. I've seen yeah. I've seen projects well, that just they, sit there. And I'm like, why is it sitting there? And then somebody told me, oh, yeah. it's because they probably ran yeah. out of money and they can't buy the materials or whatever. So they stopped where they are. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Well, macro yeah. events happen, right? We have pandemics. We have interest rate changes. We, you know, we just have market changes. We have all kinds of things that happen that impact the project that are kind of outside of its control. And time kills them too. So you've got to get them approved and going as fast as you possibly can because construction costs are always increasing. The cost to carry the land and the cost to carry all of your entitlement costs, every, which is all the cost that you have to put into just to get the thing approved. You're paying interest on all that stuff as you go. And so you got to get this thing done <laughs> off to market in a certain period of time. Otherwise, any margin you had just gets chewed up and the whole project's dead. Well, no pressure, right? You know, that sounds easy enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not complicated at all. <laughs> no pressure. Um, so yeah. so now you're in this world. So now we appreciate the world. And, and that's why I wanted you to explain it a little bit, because I, I think that most people don't know this like side of it. And this will help us understand a little bit more, mm -hmm. perhaps, how you arrive at burnout. And I appreciate that you mentioned that even with all this complexity and as crazy as what you described was, you mentioned you did enjoy it. Like, you know, you, you found joy mm -hmm. in what you were doing, even as you were kind of, you know, walking into burnout, you were still like, you're like, but I like this too, you know? So there's this like, it sounds like there's this internal conflict. There was, I mean, so there's a lot of pride in bringing together a really successful, you know, a beautifully designed project that's mixed use and mixed income. It, you know, it's super, it's a lead platinum project. I did at one point, you know, it has all of these really cool attributes that are great for communities and also just working with so many super talented people. There's really a lot of joy in that too. So it's like, I don't think yeah. anything's black and white, right? Here you are, you're just kind of slogging through. And I talk about this in my book a little bit. It's like the frog in the pot of slowly mm -hmm. boiling water. You're just bit by bit, you know, you're kind of just slowly acclimating to the point where you know, you're like, this is fine. This is fine. Seems fine. And then you're yeah. dead. <laughs> this is not fine anymore because you've just been getting yeah. used to it bit by bit. And then your natural stress set point is so high, but you're so freaking mm -hmm. out of touch with yourself that it, you really don't even see it anymore. 
even though the signs are kind of, as I mm -hmm. look back, the signs were there. Like I was doing all sorts of nutty stuff. Like at one point I was yelling my head off at somebody who I worked with, like totally inappropriate, you know, totally vastly inappropriate behavior at work. But it actually was one of my moments where I was like, okay, girl, you got to figure some things out. This isn't working for anybody. You know? So tell us a little bit more now about that moment where you're really starting to realize there is a problem here and something needs to be done. Take us through that. So for most people, me included, the thing that actually kicks us into making changes out of this really unsustainable sort of habit that we've set for ourselves is usually some form of an emergency or just either health emergency or other sort of thing. It's something that's jarring enough that it snaps us to attention. And that's what it was for me. So this was back when my kids were, were younger, about five and seven. And um, we were up and visiting some friends in, in the, some snowy area, and it was kind of remote. And then they, they had invited some other family over for dinner, and I, I was in charge of making the dinner. So I was kind of watching the kids and making the thing. And I think my head was full of a bunch of work crap that was still going on that I was supposed to still deal with. I don't even actually remember now the, the level of, you know, scrambled eggs that was going on in there. but. This other family comes, I guess they brought something to share. And my son has a, a really severe nut allergy. And so, you know, what you do is you ask people what, what's in food and you tell them. And I just didn't think about them. We didn't really know them. The other family we, we knew really well. And, you know, in the frenzy of the evening had failed to have this conversation with them. And the kids, you know, ate their dinner really quick, which I had made fine. And then they ran off with what these people had brought kind of like before I had a chance to, anybody had a chance to even notice. And they had brought this big plate of nut-filled brownies and the kids grabbed it and ran off, you know, downstairs to eat it. And my son was actually really good at, at being a, even at five years old, he was very good at asking what's in things at like school birthday parties, but he never heard of a nut-filled brownie. I think he thought it was white chocolate chips or I don't know. So my daughter who was seven comes running up the stairs and she's like, I think Alden ate nuts. And I think I had like a mini heart attack. Like I felt like my soul flee. I just sort of like sunk in. Like I thought I was going to faint actually. <laughs> and so, because it was, it was a blizzard. We were in the middle of freaking nowhere. And so we had his EpiPen, but like, you still have to get your yeah. kid to the hospital. It's not like it just goes away. You know, these things can happen. It can go for like mm -hmm. 24 hours. And so Anyway, we grabbed him, we did the EpiPen, gave him his Benadryl, called 911, and we're like waiting for the ambulance to come. And it's just taking forever because it's a blizzard. And, you know, they finally come, we get to the hospital, everything's fine. Thank goodness, you know. But I woke up the next morning and was just like a crazy mess, like crazy, ugly cry mm -hmm. sobbing on my friend's couch. <laughs> so bad that the kids are just running away like, ah, something's wrong with this woman. And just, I just told him, I was like, I can't handle this. You know, I, I'm trying to do all the things and even for extended family, everybody had needs and gripes and wants. And here I am trying to do them all. And just, I couldn't do it. And I just said, I don't know how to get out of this. And by the way, I feel like a wuss. Isn't this everyone's life? You know? And my friend was like, you know what I think? I think you could use a sabbatical. <laughs> I was like, sabbatical? I'm not a professor. <laughs> But she was right. And I put some thought into it. And, you know, we're a dual earning household. So my husband and I had to do some planning. I didn't just mm -hmm. quit the next day. But that was the beginning of our plan to to 
kind of get me this break that I really, really needed. And so we started putting the plans in place, financial planning and otherwise, so that I could take what I knew needed Mm -hmm. to be an extended break. And by the time I got to it, I was running on fumes. I mean, really. Uh, How long did that take? (laughs) But I went to afford it. It took about a year, a little over a year. And, you know, we needed to, to get ourselves ready, you know, basically in, mm-hmm. in all the ways, saving all the money. I moved to a four day okay. work week for a little while to just provide yeah. some relief, mm-hmm. which was helpful. And it's funny because if you're used to being kind of a above and beyonder, then when you get to that, I was like working on my day off during my four day wow. work week, like surreptitiously, like what is wrong with people? <laughs> me in this case, it took me a few weeks to be like, okay, stop. What yeah. are you doing? You know, just to get into the practice of, oh, I have a day mm-hmm. for myself. Isn't this novel? And yeah. being able to put it to good use and, and to learn what so, that meant. And, you know, and I think it's important that you're sharing this, that it took you about a year because, uh, you know, I think this is one of the things that a lot of people are concerned about when they're thinking about that break or, or leaving a career in order to reinvent themselves. And of course, there's a lot of uncertainty with that. So then you're worried about finances and all of that. And I think it seems a lot of times when we hear certain stories or read certain articles like, oh, all these cool people just took this leap of faith, like just from nowhere. Like one day they had this idea and then Mm -hmm. they leaped the next day. And, but no, like that's maybe one or two or, you know, just a handful of stories because some set of circumstances allowed that to happen. But the majority of people know right. it takes time to plan that and it could take a year. Like, and that's something to think about, which means I think for people listening, it's that if you're really thinking about this, start planning now because it may still be a year mm-hmm. before you can execute this plan. But you shared a few things, you know, you, you mm-hmm. figured things out financially with your husband. You even started going from five day to a four day work week. And an interesting mm-hmm. realization, like you said, that you still found yourself working that fifth day anyway. So it's kind of like, what am I doing? <laughs> I have a day off and I'm not using it. But mm-hmm. hey, that you probably like yeah. realize, oh, wow, I really need this break. Like now, stat, <laughs> get it to me here. I mean, it's amazing the expenses you can cut and all the things that you can do if you really need to. It's actually amazing the things you can do. I mean, I was dealing with all of the sort of aftershocks of the the emergency I mentioned too, I felt a lot of shame about that. Like what the hell kind of a parent allows for this, right? And it's just really, <laughs> I had a lot of things I needed to deal with mentally, emotionally, and otherwise. And it just took some, it, and yes, it just took time. But I'm glad that you highlight that because, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about things. There's a lot of incremental ways that we can go about taking care of ourselves and in fact, that's what my book really is about. It's not for people who are going to go and leave the country for a couple of years, although that'd be amazing. If you could do that, you could take it with you and it would do you all the good. But it's also really for people who are where they are and who need to have a system and a plan and a guidebook for how to reclaim their lives right now, where they live in the life they're in, which is most of us. And with 89% of workers reporting feeling burned out in 2023. That's a whole lot of people needing yeah. a whole lot of stuff without being able to leave the country to go you know, find it. And by the way, all of our habits and mindsets follow us mm-hmm. where we go anyway. Yeah. So. And you know what you're alluding to there, I think, is that there's no one size fits all solution to this. And so it's really important that you take your circumstances, your variables, your situation, and 
to your point, you were surprised at what you can cut when you really resolve to cut things out. And then, of course, figure out what mm -hmm. makes sense for you. Maybe it's going from five days to four day work week. You know, maybe it's finding a part time situation before you can make like a full break, you know, from work or from whatever you need. So I love this story mm -hmm. because, again, the key lesson here is that there's no one size fits all solution. It's all about getting creative and finding ways to resolve this. And it depends on your variables and your constants and, you know, your situation. So, you know, play with that, figure that out and stay open-minded, I think is what I take from that story. So let's talk a little bit about sure. the, like, what is burnout, right? Because these are terms like burnout, hustle culture, we're going to get to all of these, but that are thrown around often very loosely. And there's no, like, I think, I think if I asked 10 different people on the street what burnout is, I'd get 10 different definitions. They wouldn't be so far off. I think mm -hmm. there's a general idea we all have, but I think it's always good to, if we're going to get into this conversation about your book now, you know, going from burned out to lit up, let's start by defining burnout. So how do you define burnout? I think this is, you know, obviously relevant to this conversation, but really the perfect question it's like talking about words like stress. People are like, oh, well, we all have it. It's all there, blah, blah, blah. But then it gets kind of swept under the rug because people feel like, well, it's just so common and so it's probably just fine. I mean, it's really not fine. There's really not, not a whole lot fine about it. And people will say things like, oh, well, it's just being overwhelmed. It's just as mad. It is all those things. But the way I define it is that it's not a sign of doing things wrong that it's a sign of hustling and grinding so freaking hard to do it all, quote, right, and still feeling like a failure. So here you are trying to meet all of society's expectations, the workplace, the domestic realm, your family, whoever, your own expectations. You're hustling to do all these and you still feel like crap because it was really never attainable. And I like to tell my clients, hey, you haven't failed. It's impossible to fail at something that was never literally possible anyway. This whole the only thing that's ridiculous is this set of expectations that we somehow sign on to with this beautiful American work hustle culture that we all live in. And so we can drop the shame around it and we can build some systems in place to help heal ourselves and get ourselves out of so it. I, I like that distinction that you make. It's about hustling so hard to do things to do things right and still mm -hmm. feeling like a failure. I think that'll, we're going to use that because I think as we go forward into, you know, your solution, of course, to how to get lit up, then we'll be able to talk more about, you know, how that relates to this initial problem. So let's talk about hustle culture. Cause that was something else that you and I talked about in our, in our prep call. And I thought you had an interesting thing to say about this kind of how you see hustle culture. Tell us a little bit about that, how you define mm -hmm. it, how you explain it. Well, most of us spend years and years just very slowly, incrementally, bit by bit, making decisions that are really our betrayals to ourselves until the, we get to a point where we don't even hear or see our own needs, desires, or requirements as humans. We don't even see them anymore. It's like they're not even there. And you know, it, it, it's all so that we can keep going harder, faster, more 24 seven, you know, like 10 years or so ago, we all got these awesome smartphones, which are awesome, except, you know, in the work realm, I remember just this huge change that happened where you used to be able to like get away, <laughs> like 
you could sort of at some point kind of go off grid for the day. And that sort of went away when you could just get pinged 24 seven. And we thought, oh, this is great. So convenient. I can work so flexibly. And I thought that too. I thought, oh, I get a little extra work done here and there, except the extra time I gave work didn't give me any time back. It still wanted me there for all the FaceTime hours I was in addition to this other time. And so that's just one other example of how hustle culture just slowly eats us alive. It was definitely a part of the development world. And frankly, all the clients I work with and friends I have in tech and in law and education, even like <laughs> it's not an industry specific yeah. issue. It's really an American yeah. work culture issue. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the way you explain it, not because I like <laughs> what it means, but because it makes it so clear how it shows up in our lives. This mm -hmm. series of small betrayals. It's that, you know, I'll skip my run today or, you know, I won't go hang out with my friends today. Or, you know what, I'm going to have to say no to that family birthday party. But it's just this one time because it's really big, important project. And, you know, I'll be at the next one. Mm -hmm. It'll be fine until the next one comes around. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we betray ourselves again. And we just keep on doing this. Mm -hmm. And it's, of course, in yeah. if you look at any one of those moments, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But then if, you know, you add them up. And, and I found myself in that spot where... I realized here I am, I've said no for years at one point. And then I, I'm like, wait, relationships are breaking down, like with friends and family. And I just found myself like, what happened? Well, to your point, like, I, mm -hmm. that's why I really enjoyed the way you put it, because it helped me see, like, when I reflected on that part of my life, I realized, wow. And all that time, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was. And one of the mm -hmm. things I learned is that the more supportive the folks are and the people around you, the easier it is because in a way they kind of help you do it because they mean well for you and they want to support you. No, I totally get it. You do that thing you're doing. I, we're, you know, we love that you're working so hard on this thing that matters so much to you. And, mm -hmm. and so that just becomes the norm. Like that can, if you keep on saying no to things. And I realize that like, you know, yep. I appreciate that no one was that mean to me about it. You know, although couple of relationships that were very important did break down, but the majority of them were okay mm -hmm. for the most part. Of course, those years lost, I'll never get back. So that's still, that's still gone. Right. But they were really nice about it because they cared about me. And they're like, you know, this is something he cares about. And he's really working hard towards that. So, you know, I want to support that. Yeah. I love how much kind of detail you've, you've given to it because that's exactly what it looks like. You know, it does seem innocent enough at first. It's like, oh, this one urgent thing, or oh, if I just get these few more emails done, tomorrow will be better. And, you know, it, it isn't. And unfortunately, a lot of workplaces don't have any freaking idea what the hell an actual urgent thing is. Everything's just urgent all the time. And it's really pretty ridiculous, the things that people are asked to drop their entire lives for. I mean, and there's a lot of pressure to do it. I mean, for people who don't list, treat work as the highest and only priority, sometimes there are really bad repercussions. I mean, people don't just do this for no reason. There, there are industries where if you do make other choices, you'll get demoted, maybe get fired. I don't know. Although I do address that too in the book. I mean, sometimes you need to really take a good hard look and take stock and ask yourself is, if you do want to continue to work for a place that cares literally nothing about your life and your well-being. 
I mean, when you're literally breaking down, because like you said, you've, you've cut out your, your daily runs, you've cut out time with friends, you barely even see your family, you don't sleep very well, your nutrition is crap. Like you've basically chopped all of the legs off of your stool of well-being. And here, here you are a zombie coming into work. And that's just expected still. It's obviously super unhealthy. And it's super unsustainable, which is why burnout is actually really dangerous from a health and well-being standpoint. I mean, I have several friends who've had to take breaks because of health issues, mental and physical health, a couple of them in the hospital. I mean, this is not a small deal, the, the length that we can go to. And when we die, by the way, not to be a down, you know, Debbie Downer on this situation, but there's a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by yeah. Bronnie Ware. I have not, have read but I've book? heard of this book uh, referred to. I have a feeling what you're about to say I have heard. I really think people should just, I have them in my, in my book, but you can Google them. If you want a nice little smack wake up call, just give them a little read because you don't want to be that person. And when you read what they all are, you can ask yourself if yeah. you're headed there. And if you're headed there, you can make some really good healthy changes for yourself. Kind of like what you were saying now. One of the regrets is that you wish you'd spent more time yeah. with your friends. And the number one, though, is living a life that others expected of me and not the one that, you know, really mattered. Not doing the things, spending time on things that really yeah. mattered to me. And then the rest kind of flow from that. Working too hard, not spending time on yep. your friends, all of that yeah. stuff. Like those are the things that when, you, when we're sick and dying that we're going to look back exactly. on and really care about. Not that we did those extra two emails or that we did that allegedly emergency mm -hmm. thing. Yep. Yeah, I think in <laughs> you, know. you know when I've heard people write about this, like in blog articles and refer to this, you know, one of the things that came up, which has always stuck in my head, was, you know, your whatever that work emergency was, whatever that thing was that you had to do that seemed so 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 important at the time, you know, at that point in time when you're on your deathbed, you're not even going to remember what it was. Like it will not matter, but you will remember mm -hmm. that you didn't go to so and so's birthday party. That was a dear friend or a dear family member that you'll remember, but you won't even remember why. And yet in that moment, mm -hmm. you thought that that was a more important thing to do. And so you chose it. Um, mm -hmm. It felt like this is mm -hmm. going to be really important. So I have to pick this thing right now. And then yet these folks who share their wisdom with us, at, you know, at the end of their lives, help us realize that it won't matter. You won't. The part that gets me is like, you won't even remember why you made right. that choice, like what the choice was. You'll remember that you missed out on something special. And in case nobody thinks that we're bashing on work, we're not, because both of us really love what we do, right? It's just about finding not work-life balance, which I hate that, because the whole way that that phrase is set up is set up for total failure and uh, lies. I call it life-work balance because that's what it really is. We have a life, Work is part of it. Our family's part of it. Our health is hopefully a huge part of it, or we're not going too far. You know, we have all these, we have hopefully stuff we do. Do you play an instrument? You know, do you have an art practice? Are you an athlete? Like, what are you into? And if you give time and attention to all of those different things in your life, you're actually, this is the crazy part, I think, you're going to show up so much yes. better for your work. We talked about the burned out zombie that shows up because. That's all they do. They make sacrifices night and day. They don't sleep. You know, they're not that good at their work. Frankly, you're not doing anybody any favors when you get yeah. burned down like that. 
I mean, think about how creative, how energetic, how connected, how empathetic, you know, how all these wonderful characteristics are you when you're not a whole person, you're not a well person. The people that I know that kick so much ass in their work are the ones that are really whole people. Through and yeah, through. you know what I, it, this is where I think some of our ideas really overlap because when I talk about building a life that's aligned with your values, passions, and purpose, I'm referring to all areas of your life. I'm referring not just to your career. The title of the book is not how to build a career that's aligned with your values, passion, and purpose. That's part of it. Yes, I will, you know, if you can. But when you have that whole life mm -hmm. that is aligned, what I often say is that in that when any one of those areas, you know, has a problem or, you know, has a setback, it's not as devastating because the other areas of your life are strong and aligned and they're there for you to lift you while you're navigating a storm in one of those areas of your life. So I, you know, and I, and I often like think that. back to in my first marriage ended in a divorce when I was going through that, that's one of those moments that could be terribly devastating, like really just mm -hmm. knock you completely down. And it was still tough. But the difference was that I had all these other areas of my life that were so incredibly aligned. So because of that, I felt like, all right, I can move through this. I can navigate this moment. And, and yes, it was still difficult, but it never hit that devastating level that just completely wrecks you and mm -hmm. just leaves you, you know, thrown up like somewhere uh, in a gutter. Didn't get to that, that point because I had other areas. I had, I was tutoring math students, which, you know, was something that was so uh, fulfilling for me. You know, I was working on a graduate degree that mattered mm -hmm. so much to me. I had my other relationships, my friendships, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah, there were other areas. And so when you talk about this, you're absolutely right. It's not because you may not be able to do anything about your job right now. Maybe you need it right now. Maybe it's not perfect, but you like it enough. It's like you said, you know, but if those other areas of your life are not there in place, then yeah, you stand no chance of showing up as your best self, even in the face of mm -hmm. these difficult moments. I sometimes tell people, even if your job is bad, right? It doesn't mean that you have to quit. You could also find a side hustle or even something inside of your company, like a special project that you get involved in that you can draw so much mm -hmm. fulfillment from that it powers you through the difficult part of your day job, like the, the main job that you have. And I right. did that at IBM. I had a very difficult time in my day job, but I had this thing I was doing on the side, executive coaching, and it was with a whole different community, with a whole different group of people inside the company. And that's where I drew my fulfillment. So it was like, I'm fine. I can, I I can navigate this. And there were tough moments. I dealt with bullying and all these issues in my day job, but the coaching part brought, mm -hmm. it filled my cup so much that I'm like, guys, you can, mm -hmm. you know, spill some of it if you need, but I'm going to go fill that up in a moment. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to have a coaching session or I'm teaching a coaching class and I'm about yeah. to get my cup filled again. So it helped me in that moment. It didn't mean that I want to live that life forever and continue dealing with all those problems, mm -hmm. but it bought me time. It bought me time to not have to have a knee jerk reaction and just quit or break down. Or once again, be fully devastated. But you learned so much. You know what I just thought? And I love this story. You know, if your day job part wasn't so crappy, you probably wouldn't have gone so, you know, headlong deep into the coaching work, which means you might not have found how much you love it, which has turned out to be your calling. And so, well, for now, anyway. And, you know, sometimes when things are really shitty, it's a little like the data point. It's like, you know what? Do a little uh, possibility looking. 
This doesn't mean close down, batten down the hatches here. This means keep, keep your little eyeballs open and look around and you found, there's probably were a lot of different directions you could have gone. You're a super creative person. And, you know, but you found something that was so fulfilling and ended up diving into it. And that's yeah, so cool. And, you know, I never thought about it the, the way that, you know, you just put it. And I have to wonder now, like, if not for that, and then me turning into, you know, looking for this opportunity in coaching. Yeah, I don't know. Because you're absolutely right. Those years at IBM where I taught coaching and then I coached internal clients all around the world. I mean, that's what brought me to the point where I'm like, I could coach anybody. I mean, I've coached students, mm -hmm. educators. Now I've got, you know, professionals like in companies like tech companies. Wow. Like, and, and I fell in love with this mm -hmm. field and it just became one of my best strengths. But yeah, I never thought about it. If it wasn't for that experience, I would not have gone so deep into this because it was my way of filling mm -hmm. my cup. And so every time I needed a, a refill, <laughs> I just go get more involved in coaching. Yeah. I mean, I have an example of something that like, you know, when I was doing my, I was on my break and still trying to figure out what to do. We had our kids in this uh, charter school at the time which my sister was leading and she's an amazing school leader, but she left. Everything changed real quick to some really bad ways. And it was the middle of the school year. And we were like, oh crap, we can't continue to go here. But changing your kids to a different public school or whatever mid-year, it, it was sort of an untenable situation. And so if it wasn't for that falling apart and me not working at that moment and my husband having this moment in his career where he could work remotely for a little while, that we were actually able to leave the country for a little while and do that amazing thing. And we took them out of school and traveled all over the place with them. And that was, became part of our story and like an incredible gift and adventure to our family. But it happened because things were going so bad with their school, you know, and which I was freaking out about, by the way, for a long time before I literally had a vision of myself, like just dropping my side of the tug of rope and being like, okay, this is not changing no matter what you do. So you either, you know, at this point you accept it yeah. or you make a change. And, you know, my husband and I decided to do what we did and you just never know yeah. what's out there when at the other side of something that's yes. not working. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I, my gosh, I can, now so many ideas are coming to me in terms of like moments in my life that were like that, where the really good thing was preceded by a really bad setback that sucked a lot. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, come on, why did this happen? But then that forced me or forced my wife and I to look at things differently and say, well, what can we do now? Mm -hmm. Like, what can we do with this? And I remember like one of the, the last one I'll share with you, and I promise this will be the last one. It was when my wife was working on her, uh, getting her green card to come to the US. So she was working for Google in mm -hmm. Ireland. And, you know, we were going through that whole thing that happened. We were mm -hmm. about, I think, two or three months away from the finish line of a 14 month process because of the way we chose to do it. It was okay. a 14 month process. And then the pandemic happened. So all the embassies like shut oh, down boy. and in Ireland, they were one of the most like careful with COVID because they had like pretty bad outbreaks. And so that embassy shut down, which meant all appointments, you know, indefinitely suspended, not happening, no interviews for green cards. Wow. We were at that stage. Like that was the step we left off on. And it was like, are, is, uh, did this just happen? And so we were so close uh, to this happening. So of course, this delayed it ultimately by a year. I think it was, yeah, it was almost mm -hmm. exactly a year later that it finally all came through. So we just had to keep troubleshooting that. 
right? We had to keep trouble. Okay, what do we do now with mm-hmm. that? Well, you know, so she made some decisions. She's like, all right, I'm going to go back home to stay with my family in Romania for a little bit. Then, of course, you know, we missed each other and wanted to spend time together. Luckily, we were married. So back then, with a marriage certificate, I could actually fly to Europe because they weren't letting Americans in Europe and vice versa. So we were able to come see each other thanks to that marriage certificate. So we were using that advantage because that was the one, you know, the thing that they allowed during that time. And so we created a Mm -hmm. like I think it was a two and a half month stay in Dublin. We got uh, one of her friends had an apartment there and said, hey, just pay my rent and you guys can stay at the apartment because I'm back home in my home country, but I still have the lease. So we stayed at her place and we had a really nice two and a half months and we were waiting for the embassy to open up a few false alarms. One that was so close. We were six days away from the appointment and the country shut down again. And we were like, are you kidding me? We were like (laughs) right there. This one broke our hearts because we were six days away from the appointment. At that point, we had the appointment. And, and we lost it. And so, you know, she went back to Romania. I went back to the U.S. because of the 90-day limit for how long I could be in Europe. And so then we planned another trip because nothing, no appointments were coming through. The country was indefinitely shut down. So the embassy was closed. And we made another plan to go back in January and spend, I don't know, maybe a month or so. And we stayed at an Airbnb there and had just an incredible time in a neighborhood of Dublin that we had never explored at all, even though she was living there for so many years and I'd go visit a lot. And then when that Airbnb ran out and we couldn't renew it because they had another guest coming for also a long period of time, we went, a friend of hers had an apartment south of Dublin by the seaside. And I discovered what is now one of the most inspiring places that I go to when I need to write and be creative. And now I just fly there for writing Mm. retreats for like five days and stay at the same hotel That's in the same awesome. room with the same window mm-hmm. with the same view. Mm-hmm. The hotel knows me. They already know like, okay, he wants that room, room four, whatever it is. And like, it's like That's that so room cool. is always there for me. And so I would never would have discovered this place that I had no idea could do something to me so cre- like in a creative way. But yeah, you had like a soul connection away. there. Never would have known about this place because so had cool. everything worked out the way it was supposed to, we would not have needed any of that extra time in Dublin. And so she would have already Mm -hmm. been here in the U.S. We would have started our lives here and, you know, everything would have been like that. But because of the pandemic, I discovered a place in the world that I had no idea existed and I had no idea how connected I could feel. And wow. Yeah. You know, so I think this Mm -hmm. is a great example. Like, you know, we're sharing these examples because I hope what listeners take away from this is that, you know, even in these moments, these setbacks, you know, there is an opportunity to ask another question and say, what can I do now? You know, Mm -hmm. what else can Mm -hmm. we do? If you ask what else, you'll find other answers and just brainstorm. You never know. But in those moments, you come up with things that you could not have when things were good before that. And and you assumed everything was going to work according to plan. I really like the not insisting that everything be put into a category of right, wrong, good, bad, like not sometimes going according to plan is is the least good that can do for you because your your imagination was maybe pretty limited on that. Like, I don't know. If things went as far as you thought you were going, maybe that's not even that fabulous. So sometimes it's actually a gift and, you know, uncertainty is painful for humans. So like, I get that. It's not like I'm like so happy when things don't go yeah. how I want it. <laughs> but But I also know that oftentimes that's where magical serendipities happen and learnings happen, connections with people, and those you can't really plan for. 
You know, somebody once told me when I was graduating university, I had two offers that I was absolutely in love with, two companies that I really, really wanted to work for. And I ended up getting both offers and it was nuts. And I remember that somebody cool. who I asked, you know, just for help, guidance, whatever, because I was so torn, like pushing every deadline that I could, even pushing the deadline, asking, can I get a little more time to decide and all of that? Um, and both companies knew I was looking at the other one. So that was like even, oh, that felt weirder. But this guy said to me something that I never forgot. He said, you know, you're in an incredible position. You could flip a coin right now and take whatever the coin says, and your life is going to be great. And I'm like, how do you know? He goes, because it actually doesn't matter. You're going to make it great. See, what you can't predict right now is you see that opportunity as this standalone thing, but it changes the moment mm -hmm. you enter it. When you enter that reality, everything changes. You make it something different because you're Love now it. a part of it. You're part of, you're a new ingredient. So everything changes for better and for worse, perhaps like it does. So you really can't. So what seems mm -hmm. like the perfect thing could actually become the worst thing or vice versa. And I thought, yep. wow. Yep. And I never forgot that because I realized it has helped me so much with decision-making, especially when it's, I'm, I feel torn between two things. I always remember, you know, right. I always have the opportunity to make any of those choices. Great. Once I'm in it. I can make it great. So, yeah. and I think that's what we're talking right. about. In this moment, the decision was made for us because something just happened the way it happened. But we made it mm -hmm. great anyway. So maybe that, maybe that's like the mm -hmm. key idea to take away is to have that faith knowing that I almost feel like this is a principle or a law. It's not even like a, oh, maybe it'll happen that way or usually it happens that way. I feel like it can always happen that way as long as we believe that we can make it great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're creative, flexible people. We can get in there and be like, okay, uh, these two elements of this, cool. Those, not so cool. Yeah. And then adjust, right? We're always adjusting. Life is just a very iterative process. You get in somewhere and you just, I don't know, you just kind of keep figuring yeah. out as you go. So before we get into the book, there was something that you and I discussed in our prep call that I thought was just kind of interesting. And I, I'd love to just bring it up. It's a short one, but it's about boundaries. Remember when we talked about you know how like yes. a lot of these small betrayals, it's like, you know, we have no boundaries. It's like saying like, oh my God, I'm so bad with boundaries. And I think people say that to themselves. Oh, I'm terrible with boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like I just, you know, I cancel on friends all the time and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I just let work take over everything. But we, you and I had like mm -hmm. this interesting discussion where we arrived at something where we realized, wait a minute, that means actually it, we do have boundaries. It's just that we have boundaries for the wrong thing. We're protecting work, not life. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. Yes. Boundaries can be applied wherever we want yeah. to. I mean, it is a selective process. I think the danger with them becomes when they become kind of unconscious or when we feel like we don't have control yeah. anymore, when we sort of give away our power because we're like, oh, I have to do this or else that, or I, this, they won't like me. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'll get a bad review. You know, when you're not when you're not making choices that are yeah. really consciously connected to your intuition, your core values, who you are, what matters in your life. And yes, absolutely. I think oftentimes we do use those boundaries to chop out everyone else and protect yeah. work. And sometimes that feels like the right move, maybe the safest move. Maybe Certainly our culture pressures us to make that decision yeah. oftentimes. And I think that's one of the really important things that comes from doing really in kind of any kind of 
internal practice and, and reflection period where we just ask ourselves, because by the way, I'm not telling anybody they need to do or not do anything. It's just more of doing an internal kind of investigation with your own self and just ask yourself, is the use of my time and resources aligned with really what matters most to me in my life right now? And maybe you're in a period of time where you're like, I'm just going to work my finger to the bone for a year. And that's really what I'm going to focus on for this. And then I'm going to reevaluate. Okay, cool. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I'm going to start a family this year. I really need to put more energy on that. Okay. You know, really, it's, it's just a matter of making sure that you're consciously making these decisions. And then the other thing you and I were talking about is sometimes those boundaries we can use almost to weaponize against ourselves, where we tell ourselves no and not give ourselves the leeway that we or any grace to learn or to grow or to make mistakes or to kind of stretch our wings further than would feel comfortable. And we do that for any number of reasons too. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think the bright side of this, the good part about this is that for anybody who's listening, who's ever said, I'm terrible with boundaries, just check in again. You may be good. You're just weaponizing it in the, you know, you're using it in the wrong direction which is good because I think that's a good starting point in the sense that, okay, so maybe I am good at boundaries. I just need mm -hmm. to redirect it the other way. <laughs> I need to protect me, yeah. not that job. <laughs> as Because, wow, I'm actually pretty yes. good at boundaries. If it comes to protecting my job, I'm actually lethally good. Unfortunately, the lethal yes. part is affecting you. So there's a, totally. there's a place, there's a positive from which you can start. But work does yeah. need to be done because you got to make that adjustment. So let's talk about your book. So we, I think we've done a really great job of unpacking the problems, right? And how they show up in our lives, how they show up in the world, how we arrive at these moments. Let's talk a little bit about some of the solutions that you share in your book. Take it away. Sure. So it's broken down broadly into three sections. And then there are, you know, a few chapters per section. But just to give you a just a general sense, the structure is that we... We start with the assumption that we're all burned out. The reason why we got here is that we have too much on our plate anyway. And so it's not a book about like, hey, just add all this awesome new stuff to your super overbooked life and voila, you will be perfect and better. And won't that be great? So the first chapters are devoted to the sections called making space. We have to get rid of some stuff first if we're going to, going to then refill with habits, practices, and mindsets that actually serve us. And so we make physical space, we make mental space, and we make space in our schedules, including setting boundaries. So that's the first section. And then once we've gone through that, and the way the book is set up, the cadence is suggested about one chapter per week. So it's a very chill and easy thing. You just go through a chapter. There's reflection activities at the end of each that you can apply what you've read about to your life. So it's relevant to you. And then you practice a skill and then just move on to the next. I mean, people can do it how they want. Some people just read the whole thing because they like the storytelling and found it sort of like, you know, entertaining and then kind of went back and actually went through it week by week. The second section is called rebuilding. And we, this is where we learn mindsets, habits, and practices to actually make our life be a much closer reflection to what we actually want it to be to be in alignment with our, with our values, like we were talking about. So we learn about growth mindset. We learn about something I call should versus choose. And then we talk about building a sabbatical style mindset and way of being, which is 
really just about learning how we can have this mindset anywhere and at any time. And it's about deciding and learning and applying it. There is, you know, the rubber meets the road in our lives when it comes to our schedule and our habits. You know, you're a super avid reader. I'm sure you've read all the habit books. So have I. And I reference them. I mean, ultimately, our lives are kind of just a big pile of habits and actions put together over a course of years, right? And so we don't want those to happen by accident. We want to be really intentional about what goes into our lives because that's ultimately how we spend our days. And we don't want it to be an autopilot full of a bunch of crap put there by society, social media, and everyone else. So we do practice on that. And so we spend a few weeks kind of putting things into our lives that actually serve us and get us where we want to be. And then the last section of the book is called sustaining. And that's about in that, in that uh, section, we go into joy and resilience because it's not like you just go through this and you're like, ha ha, I've arrived. Don't let me be burned out again. I'm cured, right? Because we're humans. And even if you've gotten rid of a bunch of drama and junk out of your life and you know, you've got your good mindfulness habits and your exercise practice and such, you know, you're still a person and stressful stuff happens. You know, people die, people get sick, you know, things happen. That's life. And so when those things happen, we want to be able to be equipped to allow ourselves to, you know, go off of our habits sometimes and manage mm-hmm. the things we need to, but then to come back on, to learn and to really practice resilience, to give ourselves the grace to do that. And then to remember how important it is to have fun and joy and serendipity in our lives, which is one of the first things to go when you're super burned out. I know it was for me. I was so, so unfun. (laughs) I didn't think I had time for fun. You know, it's so important. So just learning it, and it may seem ridiculous, but step one for getting fun back into your life, if you're out of the habit, is scheduling, is scheduling in time for it. And people are like, scheduling is so boring. It is. And, you know, if it's something that we are not in the habit of Mm -hmm. noticing or making any time or mental space for, we're going to have to start with some structure to get it back in there. And then it'll start to come a little more readily. I have an interesting story to share about that, like this, you know, making fun or certain moments or finding that joy or creating it or scheduling it or whatever. I mean, I've gotten better Mm -hmm. in like just doing that now. But even still, there's moments where, you know, I can slip back into some old habits. Like I found myself, for instance, working longer days, like allowing myself to come back to the home office because I have a home office. So I, you know, after dinner, I might just kind of work my way back in here and open up the laptop. I'll just check something real quick. And before I know it, I've done like a solid hour, maybe hour and a half rather than being outside, let's say, and playing with our baby or just not being here, you know, like in front of this thing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for, for my birthday, I got myself something really interesting, something that I hadn't done in so long. And, and it was because I went to visit a buddy of mine and his kid had one and I wanted one too, because I had a lot of fun with it. And it was this thing right here, <laughs> a Nintendo Switch. And so Ooh. I haven't played video games in I don't know how long, but I went to visit my buddy and his kid wanted to like, you know, compete with me uh, on Mario Kart. And I was like, all right, mm-hmm. haven't played it in a while, but and I got so into it. I had so much fun. And so I just had this, you know, it was my birthday this past weekend. And I just, you know, I hadn't really thought about a gift or anything like that. Like my, my wife was like, you know, what, what do you want? Like, let's get you something. And I go, no, I'm fine. I think I'm good. You know, Christmas, I got so many gifts. I think I'm fine. Like I'm set. 
But then it hit me. I go, I think I want the mm -hmm. Switch. And ever since it's been here, it's really cool because when the end of the day comes, I want to stop right away like mm -hmm. at 6 or whenever like I've scheduled the day to be done. And the first thing I do is pick this it's thing up cool. to play it. So it like it snaps me out of work mode. Like I can't help because now I'm excited about pivoting to this. Yeah. And then once I pivot to that, yeah. then my thing is, and I don't even play for long, maybe, maybe 10 minutes, which is so not like I'm not a, an exciting gamer or anything like that, yeah. clearly. But the 10 minutes, it was like such a nice, like, oh, that was fun. And then I get up and I find myself like I walk up, I get up and I leave the, the office. And I go, whoa. And it just breaks mm. the work pattern. So mm. it, Love I didn't expect this. I didn't get it for this reason. But leaving it on my desk, it started happening just this week. So this is like totally brand new. It's Thursday. And as soon as you and I are done, I have two more calls. As soon as that last call is done, mm -hmm. like I can't wait. I've been thinking about like, oh, I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to play Mario Kart. I'm going to do a cup. And you do, it's like three or four races. And it's just about 10 minutes worth of playing. Mm -hmm. But those 10 minutes snap me out of the work mode. And it's easy to not go. And then if I even think about coming back in here, I just grab this again because it's still on my desk. I leave it on my desk. So I see it first. Yeah. I go, now nah, I want to play a game. <laughs> I'm going to play 10 more minutes. And then I just play 10. That is such a powerful, such a powerful um, transition, fun, whatever. Like, boom, it actually switches your whole yeah. vibe so yeah. fast. It's, it's crazy. It's a pattern breaker. And I just didn't expect it to play that role. So for now, it's going to stay on my desk because by it being on my desk, it it's like an, it's an obstacle I have to cross. I have to move it. So if I want to get back to work at 8 p.m., no, that thing is right in front of my keyboard. So I'm kind of like, I want to play a game instead because the kid in me wants to play. You'll be such a, you know what, though? People yeah. need to play. Old people, too. It's just part of being a human. It's how we connect to ourselves, to other people. It's like an actual human need that we sort of write off as being frivolous or unnecessary. And if actually that is a sign that you're headed to burnout or you're already there, if you're not fun anymore, if you have no idea what you yeah. even think is fun, like that is I... a scary, actually, <laughs> really bad place to be. Also, you're going to be a super popular dad because you know you know how to play at, at least, least one, a yeah. game, and maybe yeah. even more. I have one I play mm -hmm. with my daughter. I mean, I'm horrible. <laughs> oh, so bad. I'm just the worst. What do you but play? But it's fun. It's Lego, Lego okay. Star Wars. Yep. It is a mm -hmm. great game. It is yeah. a hoot. And okay. she's older, by the way. Oh, she's wow. She's in high school. Nice. This was something we just did for like, I don't know, yeah. for fun, like in the last couple of years, just whatever. It's just something we do sometimes yeah. just to hang out. And you don't luckily you don't yeah. have to be good at it. If we need to get some level to level or something, she can sort of do that. And I just kind of yeah. hang out in her vicinity. <laughs> and don't get killed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's really, it's just a cool way to, you know, there's just yeah. so many ways to enjoy things and connect with people. And But see, I think that's many. interesting then because it sounds like, you know, playing that Lego Star Wars game is something that is kind of like my Switch. You know, it's available to both mm -hmm. you and your daughter as a pattern breaker it can mm -hmm. disrupt the pattern if either of you are having a bad day you can probably just default to that mm -hmm. game because you've already done that been there done that it's easily available and accessible to both of you so yeah let's just play real quick and right. wow what a great way to just kind yeah. of like have a pattern disrupt that like a positive one that you know can snap one of you out of a bad day or or just create an opportunity for the two of you to get closer mm -hmm. yep really 100%. interesting cool i like yeah i like that that last part 
I think it's easy to take for granted that last step in your process, the joy and the sustaining, you know, sustaining these moments, because it's easy to think I've made it, I'm good. And then just, you know, mm -hmm. but then like you said, things happen, life happens, and there will be setbacks. And you want to make sure that you don't just like a rubber band, go right back to where you were when you went through this journey. Yep. And I want to talk a little bit about the second one, which is rebuilding the habits, the mindsets, because, you know, when we, you and I mm -hmm. had our prep call, you talked about like just how important this one is because like, mm -hmm. it, and, and I'm, I don't want to say too much about it because I really want you to speak on it. But the thing that I think we left off on was when you make all these adjustments and, and start to realize, okay, I've been burnt out. I need to create space and all of that there's a vacuum. And like when people are trying to change like a bad habit, if they're like, I'm going to cut out soda. But the problem is like, okay, I cut out soda or I cut out smoking, but now I eat potato chips all day or I eat candy all day. Like something has to fill it. <laughs> and I feel like this rebuilding yep. is kind of like you saying, don't just leave an empty space for too long, you know, fill it with the things that will keep you on the path, like keep you on the right path. Mm -hmm. Talk more about that and the importance that that plays and how key that is. Yeah, this is really the meat that we're talking about sustaining for the long term. And it takes a lot of forms. But one of them is, so one of the things I've worked with my clients a lot on, and I go into grave detail about it in the book, and it's a big part of my healing and my ongoing life. I call it my helpful routine. It's also my healthy routine. It's also a morning routine. Although people talk about morning routine and their little eyeballs glaze over because it's like, oh, this lady's going to talk about taking an ice bath and all this other stuff. And I'm not going to talk about that at all. For me, it's really just about starting your day off on the best possible foot for yourself, setting yourself up for success. And this, again, takes different forms to different people. So this is not like a highly prescriptive thing. It's just a matter of choosing what you do versus just letting the world choose for you. So a typical way to start the day for a lot of people, and I've been there too, so like, you know, no shade, but when I've been there, it's not when I've been in good places. So a typical way one might start the day when they're feeling badly is you wake up, you lay there with like your stomach churning for a while, worrying about all this different crap, the broken dishwasher, your parents, your sick kid finances, war, economic, environmental degradation, whatever. And then after that, you get your phone out, you start checking your work email and see all the terrible things that are awaiting you that day. Maybe you look on social media, read some news that may or may not be super legit, compare yourself to other people, whatever, do all of that. Then you read some news, doom scrolling, whatever. I used to start worrying about the fact that we're all going to hell in a handbasket. And so now an hour is gone and you're in a really bad headspace. You're super suspicious. You're exhausted. In no way are you feeling full of light and fulfillment yourself. And there's no way you're showing that off to anyone else in this planet. You're not really going to be given a vibe of, uh, of love to others that you come across in this life you're probably not going to have the energy now to do a lot of other healthy decisions, like decent breakfast, take a walk, whatever. So that's one way. Now, a better way to start the day, and I give um, 
a suggested kind of list of stuff to do that people will fit in as they like, but it's wake up, breathe really deeply a few times, settle your body into the day, think about a few things you appreciate about your life that are going well, and then if you're me, you have coffee, a huge glass of water, chit-chat with my husband for a little while, and then... I'll get my kids lunch and breakfast ready and then I'll do morning run most of the time. I've had trail near us. So I'm able to do trail running. Thank goodness. And then I'll do either 10 minutes of mindfulness or journaling. One of those. And that's sort of a basic thing. And if you do something like that before you get into your social media, cause yeah, then I'll go on LinkedIn or whatever, do stuff on there for a little while. I do not really, I don't consume a lot of mass media. I do not think that that's good for most people's mental health. Certainly not for mine. But if you do all the stuff we talked about before you do all the other stuff, instead of letting the whole rest of the world dictate how you feel, what you're going to do, your mindset, your attitude, your energy level, you've decided those for yourself. You've taken over agency for your day. Now you're able to walk into the day just fully deciding how you're going to be and show up. You actually have energy to tackle the things you need to and to actually show up for the causes and the people that matter to you. You know, you can go volunteer somewhere because you have the energy to do it. You can call that friend and see how they're doing because you have the energy to do it. There's just a lot to be said for setting yourself up in that way. So as far as the strategy for doing it, like you're talking, like you mentioned, there's a book called The Power of Habit, and he talks about habit swapping. And so we have something that makes us want to do a habit, um, the cue, and then we have the routine, and then we have the reward. So basically, in a habit swap, you just kind of swap out the routine, which is the middle thing. So let's say we wake up in the morning, instead of just picking up that phone to look at the email, we just swap that out and maybe pick up our journal and just spend 10 minutes doing that. Instead of reading the news for 30 minutes, we go for a 30-minute walk. So if you can take one thing that you know is doing really horrible things for your health in all the ways and you swap it out with something that even if you don't believe it for yourself yet, you've at least read that there's actual Mm -hmm. research to back it up. And a lot of people that you trust and probably believe are telling you that it's worthwhile to try and try that and try it for at least Mm -hmm. 30 days, right? Because when we're building new habits, you don't just try it once and poof, it's there. It's going to take around a month for your body and your mind to stop fighting you all the time, to want to get back to the old ways when it used to be so easy, you know, for your body and mind to be like, okay, fine. This is how we do things now. And then a few months later, it's like, oh, that's not only how we do things. That's who we are. And then you just become a person who gets up and walks in the morning. You become a person who has a 10 minute mindfulness or prayer practice or whatever. Yeah. And I think that, you know, even in, as you hit those 30 days, I think with what you're sharing specifically, you can't help but fall in love with it. Like it feels good. Like, I mean, you realize, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, Mm -hmm. this feels really good. And I think, you know, I get it. Some habits are a little harder and they do require more time. But this one that you're sharing in particular, I think what people will realize Mm -hmm. maybe even sooner than 30 days, this feels so good. Like I want to fight to keep this one going. And it encourages Mm -hmm. you to to continue through and persist and make sure I, I mean, I, this is one that I can vouch for, you know, because I, I've been very careful about things that, you know, when they sneak in and, and it's crazy because just the other day I was starting a meditation practice now as one of my morning routines. So I've added that to my morning routines 
And I mm -hmm. remember just, uh, so this week is the first week. So today's Thursday, right? So now I've done it four days in a row. And yesterday, Wednesday, I opened up my phone and saw a few emails that had come in from European clients. And then I opened up and saw something news related. And I was like, close that, don't look anymore at it and go into my meditation. Just that glance, that worked its way into my freaking meditation. Like it was in there. I go, are you kidding me right now? Like, that's what I'm thinking about in this meditate, this time that is for me. Um, and so this morning yeah. I was like, no, don't even glance at it. Go straight to the app that you need, the meditation app, open that up. Don't even look, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. don't pass, go, don't collect $200. Just go straight to meditation app, open it and just start the thing and do it. One thing that helps, uh, you know, for anyone who, you know, likes this idea you're sharing, and I do this one is my phone is on sleep mode. It's programmed to be on sleep mode until 7 a.m., mm -hmm. at which point I'm done with my rituals. And so what that means is that mm -hmm. I have an opportunity not to see any of the alerts, any of the notifications. Mm -hmm. And Apple, like the iPhone, says this many notifications while in sleep. And unless you hit it and expand it, you don't have to see any of them. So I could actually open my yeah. meditation app without having to hit that thing. It just tells you, hey, 15 notifications came in while you were sleeping. If you want, hit this mm -hmm. and you can get a sneak peek now. And I'm like, no, thanks. I don't want a sneak peek because I saw what happened yesterday <laughs> when I took that, ex that, that sneak peek, yeah. which I really didn't mean to do, but I did it by like accident. And then I went to do this meditation practice that now I've been enjoying in just three days. I'm already falling in love with it. And I go, get the heck out mm -hmm. of here. It worked its way into my meditation. And this morning it didn't. And I was like, yeah, now we know. Like, don't even, don't even. Good for you. It it's is. hard. You know, our attention is a, it's a squirrely yeah. little beast, but we have to really be pretty disciplined, actually, what we give our yeah. attention to. Because as you said, that's where your energy starts yeah. pouring out in that direction. We got to use tech also to our advantage because luckily there are features. Exactly. I mean, there's, you know, the, you can shut apps down uh, for a number of hours. You can decide mm -hmm. which apps are like closed or off for certain hours. The sleep mode is a good one because yeah. it hides all the notifications behind one little notification that says you got 15 notifications over while you were sleeping and I don't have to hit that. So it gives yep. me a chance to save myself. I like that one too. And I like the, I like the uh, mindfulness yeah. apps. I have which one, one I use a lot, one do you, you know, use? Calm. I okay, use calm. Yeah. I'm a, mm -hmm. I use a mind Valley, uh, mind Valley university. They, they have courses oh, and things like cool. that, but they actually have a meditations like section in it. So it's, it's that's not awesome. meant to be a full blown meditation app like calm or the other ones, but you know, it has a mm -hmm. bunch of them that are programmed in there. You can just pick, you know, a theme like, Oh, I want one around focus or nice. I want one around creativity. And yeah, I'm having a blast with yeah. it, like surfing all the different ones that they have. It's amazing what's out there. You know, it's just so much that it just requires us to almost take like a half a day to do a little mini yeah. inventory. Okay, I have this really awesome device. How am I going to put yes. it to work for me? Like, what are the pieces about it that are kind of mid? What pieces are super yep. useful? You know, how can I make yep. it work the Absolutely. best? Absolutely. So, and that's the good thing. Like, it's it's not about saying, you know, garbage like throw this out like i've not no like there's a lot of good to it too but we have to do just a little work up front to figure out what the good is set the right features and luckily these are mm -hmm. features that just they that's it 
they repeat on their own. Like I don't have to set that sleep mm -hmm. mode feature every single night. It's just automatic. It's going to stay as it triggers, I think at 9 PM and turns off at 7 AM. Cool. I don't have to ever mm -hmm. remember to do this. So it works out perfectly. Yeah. All right. So I've got a few questions for you that, that I wanted to ask about just different things, but one is about success. So one question that I love exploring is how people define success and also how people defined success once upon a time ago, you know, and, and just to do that compare and contrast. So can you tell us a little bit about your current definition of success, how you would define it today, and maybe another definition you had in the past? Mm -hmm. So I define success as living a life that feels very, very authentic and real to you. So for me, it's a life where I show up and I feel like I'm 100% myself and I'm using the best parts of me and the gifts that I have in this world and making the most of them and hopefully being compensated well in the work world for it and having really strong and meaningful relationships and having my imagination go strong too so that I'm never just, you know, it, it feels good to always know that I've got some kind of exciting new stuff mm -hmm. in the hopper. So it's very internally driven. It's very much about like what matters yeah. most to me and how am I doing on that? And I think one way that that differs from ways that I have defined it earlier in my life is that has been that shift from being internally driven versus being more like looking for external markers and wanting to have more external validation, which by the way is awesome. I mean, if someone wants to, you know, I don't know, like if I was to be a best-selling book in all the different categories, that would be totally amazing. And I would not reject that. However, I know that my life doesn't depend on it. You know, I already feel successful having positively impacted all the people I have in my life. And having written this book, for example, and having all the people who have read it reach out and say how it's impacted them so positively already feels like absolutely a success. So I think it's shifting to just, I don't know, my internal yeah. estimation. So based on that definition that you just stated, your current definition, on a scale of one to 10, how successful are you? Would you rate yourself right now based on your scale or your definition? I'd say I'm doing pretty good. You know, we're never perfect. Maybe okay. an eight. I mean, look, we always have spaces yeah. to grow. Is there anything in particular that you're so, thinking like, ooh, you know, I want to improve this area based on my definition? Is there an area that you're, you're thinking about where, ooh, that's where I could close the gap? Like that area, maybe in the next couple of years, I could close the gap. You know, I'm embarking on a new, uh, like a mm -hmm. life transition soon. My kiddos are, I'm going to be empty nesting here soon. I have a 16 and an almost 18 yeah. year old. And so I'm, you know, each time we go through a huge life transition like that, I think even though now I've, I've been to life transition rodeo a few times, it still feels like, I don't know, a yeah. little scary, frankly. And I'm like, okay, we can do this. I mean, we've never exactly done this one. So what's that going to mean? And I'd like to think that I'm entering this phase with a certain amount of grace and excitement, the kind that I try to help my clients to tap into and find. 
So I think that's one of my next yeah. challenges on the horizon. Very cool. Tell me about how you celebrate. What's one way you celebrate a victory? First of all, I think this is key. We spend so much time hand-wringing over every single terrible thing that ever happens or could happen that we give sort of a tend to give a short shrift to the celebrations. And so I definitely make space to do that. I had a big book launch party at my house with for all my launch team supporters, and we just partied like crazy. And I have a band of some local gals, and we played all kinds of crazy music with lots of champagne, and it was just a hoot. And so... I just think it's not only important, but just, I don't know, fun, connecting, whatever. So that's an example. I like to do things I like to do. Like we went to Costa Rica for two weeks over the break, my family, the four of us. And it's been on the list for a long time. And it was sort of like, I don't know, it, it felt like a culmination of a of, of a very hardworking, but, but also just very connected and joyful year. So... That's another way. Very cool. Well, I am going to leave it right there at your celebration of methods. Kara, thank you so much for sharing so openly your story and allowing me to like just kind of, you know, pick at it a little bit to go deeper on it. Because, you know, one of the things that I aim to do with this podcast is to validate people's feelings wherever they might be on the journey. And it's so important to hear the, like the difficult moments and the challenges and all of that, because someone might be feeling that and think that it's just me, but no, you know, then they hear a story, you know, one of your stories or one of my other guests, and then they might say, okay, others are feeling this. Okay. So I'm not broken. I'm, I'm not the problem. Like these things happen and, and look how she overcame that. And, and, you know, she's made it to a better place, you know, even though maybe it was that story about, you know, when your child had that allergic reaction, you know, maybe someone's experienced something like that and, mm -hmm. and still like thinks about that. I mean, I only have a one-year-old, but I can only imagine if something like that were happening. Yeah. Like I would be just almost devastated. I think, you know, like I, I think that would be the word probably. Yeah. And so, so For yeah. Sure. So maybe it's that story that just like makes somebody realize, wait a minute. And, and look how she used it as a, as an opportunity to say, wait a minute. Like, I want to think about other things. And so whatever that story was, I just want to say, I appreciate you sharing all of that with us. And tell us, where can we go learn more about you? First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And I hope people do feel seen and just, I don't know, totally appreciated for all the hell they've gone through. I mean, that's just life, you know? So to learn about me, I have a website, carahoosier.com or just C-A-R-A-H-O-U-S-E-R. -E and you can find my book, Burned Out to Lit Up, on Amazon. And um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching. I have a really groovy sabbatical in a box program, which kind of takes you through, actually very much, takes you through what goes on in the book if you want to do it in a more hands-on way. And I also do speaking and workshops and would love to, you know, for companies or like professional organizations and always love to talk with people about ways to offer their teams value and benefit that they think they need. So very cool. Thank yeah, you. My so pleasure. Much. And all of uh, your links. Uh, so for anybody listening, the, all of Kara's links will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to find everything there, including a link to her book. So do make sure to just check the show notes and find all the links there and you can follow her on LinkedIn, all of that good stuff. So make sure you do that. Awesome. Oh, yes. Find me on LinkedIn. There you go. I'm always That's there. That's the place to find you. 
Awesome. Thank you again, Kara. Yes. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Roger. Such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.